and I've asked Ed a few months ago to put together a display for us, and I want to publicly thank Ed for all the hours of work that you've done in putting together our display. And if you haven't already seen it at St John's, I'd encourage you to go uh, to, to St John's Church and have a look at their display, uh, maybe after today, after their service at St John's, um, as a beautiful display has been put on by a lady called Wynne. Some of you may know her name. I don't know her second name. I'm, I apologise. But let us just begin our service this morning with a, mo a moment of prayer. And then what will follow is we'll be singing together, Eternal Father, Strong to Save. And we'll be singing uh, that hymn. And I'd like us to take up our offering. And straight after that, I'd invite Carola to come and give the reading, followed by Peter Herring and his reflection on his grandfather. And then we'll sing another hymn, followed by Ed and Val. Val will be uh, reading from a psalm, and then Ed will be bringing his personal reflection on his grandfather. But let's begin our service this morning with prayer. Dear Lord God, we thank you for times like this where we can look back with thankful hearts for those who were called up to the services, who have fought and have given their lives through their sacrifice, Lord. Help us not to forget. Lord, we would not only just remember those who died in the First World War, but today is a day of remembrance for all those men and women in the services who have fought in, the, in various wars and conflicts around the world. And Lord, even now, there are men and women in the Royal Air Force, and in the Navy, and in the Army, who are serving you today. Lord God, as we remember as a nation today those conflicts and those wars, Lord, may we find hope, faith, and love, and a trust in the eternal God of love, Make me a channel of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me bring your love. Where there is injury, your pardon, Lord. And where there's doubt, true faith in you. Amen. Let us stand to sing together, Eternal Father, strong to save. And we'll take up the offering.
Good morning. The reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 to 58. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. For the perishable must close itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been closed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. I didn't know either of my grandfathers that well. Um, my mother's father died uh, in the RAF whilst training pilots for the Second World War. Unfortunately, someone flew into him. <coughs> and I was only five when my father's father died, aged 78, so a good age. And I've only a few memories of him towering over me and patting my head. Uh, <coughs> My father said he very rarely spoke about the war and uh, he only attended a few of the award functions. I think what he'd seen he'd rather have forget, forgotten. <coughs> Obviously I'm very proud to be his grandson, uh, though I can assure you any of his bravery genes never passed down to me. <coughs> uh, he volunteered to join the war effort in 1914 being a chartered accountant, he was commissioned as a paymaster in the service corps, and Ed's put up some great stuff about him and everyone else. But in late November 1917, he was posted to the front as a second lieutenant in charge of a small battalion. <coughs> in March 1918, the Germans uh, were doing the spring offensive. They were running out of food and provisions. Uh, thanks to the effective blockades by the Allies. So they decided to sort of carry out a full thrust of their army in the Somme to sort of finally defeat the Allies, hopefully, and win the war. Just southwest of St. Quentin, uh, sort of in the Somme area, is the what's known as the Crozat Canal, <coughs> uh, which on the 23rd of March separated the Germans and the Allies. And my grandfather, with his battalion, um, being in the wrong place at the wrong time probably, was requested to defend a bridge over this canal uh, at Montagne, uh, and the Montagne Bridge, which had not been destroyed, which had been some sort of error. <coughs> it was important to hold the German advance up at this rather critical moment. Uh, long story short, um, they managed to hold the bridge for 10 hours through the night, beating off 
attack after attack and their numbers dwindling. And around 11 a.m. they were asked to retreat, uh, which was luckily helped by a fog. Uh, my grandfather and two others providing covering fire until everyone had left the bridge. Then, for some bizarre reason, they were then told uh, to forget the retreat order, having fully retreated, and retake the bridge. By this time, the Germans had taken up positions all around the bridge. <coughs> By the time they'd fought to the far end of the bridge, 50 men had been whittled down to three. The three, one being my grandfather, then fought on uh, until they ran out of ammunition. Uh, and then run, uh, taken over and taken prisoner. My grandfather managed to take a, a bullet for his cap, and one for his galoshes, so I came pretty close to not being here right now. <coughs> uh, for some months he was presumed dead, uh, until one day a letter arrived via the Red Cross, which I do have a copy of here. <coughs> I shall read, if I can make this thing work. <clears throat> Dear Mum and Dad, at last I'm able to write you a letter. Now don't worry about me, I'm safe, unhurt and comfortable. Don't look upon me as a martyr, but rather thank God that I came through the fighting safely. I do hope you're also well after this awful worry. The day after I was captured, I spoke to the Kaiser. He was jolly nice and very complimentary. <laughs> I also saw General Hindenburg. We've been having glorious weather. I'm very brown. <laughs> Yours, Albert. <coughs> to me, this letter sums up the madness of that war. One moment killing each other over a few yards of ground and the next being congratulated by the enemy. The Kaiser had asked to meet the man who'd held up their advance and personally congratulated him, and he was given a full military presentation by the German garrison. To be awarded the VC, one of the statements is an act of laying down one's life to save others. Whilst I like to think that my grandfather's award was given on behalf of all the men on that bridge, I'm reminded that the commander of the heavenly armies laid down his life to save us all. Now let's stand to sing the hymn, O oh God our help in ages past, let's stand to sing. <coughs>
the second reading is Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Good morning. Firstly, many thanks to all who have contributed uh, to our list of family members who served in the Great War. Some have had to scour storage places, I know. Some have had to contact relatives all over the world to gather some details. So very well done, all of you. There will, of course, be unsung heroes. Some relatives lost in the mists of time, but in particular, Let's not forget those who filled the gaps back at home when the men went overseas. Many of them women, unsung heroes. But for the moment, these are the names of our fellowship who served in the Great War. A group of 20 has a detailed in the write-up, which please do read if you're able. So before they served, 13 of the 20 were single, the younger ones. Many were just 18. Ian's grandpa Ballard was 18 years and four days when he signed the attestation papers. Phil's Leslie Draper, 18 years and 11 days. The older ones were married, seven older ones were married with children or a child on the way. Of the 20, four were professional servicemen, but only two had ever seen active service, I think, including Rose's Charles Clark, who'd been in the Boer War. Most were from Civvy Street, some maybe more used to office work, chartered accountant, assurance agent, a couple of clerks. Others were maybe doing more manual jobs, a couple of carters, cabinet maker, loader, farm labourer, fitter, gamekeeper. A real mixture of backgrounds. 
But then war breaks out, vastly more are needed in the armed services, and men are urged to volunteer. Philippa's grandfather, Frank Gordon, was an early one in, I think, probably responding to Kitchener's appeal in September 1914, but we're not too sure. And later, men were called up anyway, conscription. Potentially all men aged 18 to 41, or younger, older, the army was not too picky, really. So our group of 20 became this. Captain Harris, bottom left, Anne's grandfather, he was a little older and he served protecting the home front. His unit had meddled after shooting down a Zeppelin. A newspaper report of the time records that Captain Harris insisted on leaving his sickbed to lead his crew when he got news that the Zeppelin was approaching. Well done him. Rose's dad, George Wright, serves in the Navy, defence at sea. So too Peter Counter's grandfather, Walter Counter. The rest are destined for the British Expeditionary Force, the BEF, to the Western Front, France, Belgium. So let's reflect for a few minutes on that majority who served on the Western Front and how different their service life was from the civilian life that they'd known before. For starters, they did training. Well, hardening was also what the army called it, to develop, I think, robustness to adverse circumstances. And they certainly got a lot of that. Six months was recommended to convert a civilian to a serviceman, but the records show that most only got four, and then they were sent overseas. For certain, their active life was, their active service life was varied. What you did depended on the time and the place and what duty your specific unit was rostered to do, and sometimes just how things were unfolding all around you. Firstly, not everyone did what they were expected. So we have Martin's grandfather, Charles Francis, an able seaman in the Navy, serving with the Western Front soldiers, because that was where they needed people. So that was the 63rd Royal Naval Division, 20,000 seamen serving on land, under army control. My grandfather asked to go into the Royal Horse Artillery since he was used to horses. At first, they put him there, but when he was in uniform, under orders, they switched him to be a foot soldier. They needed more of those. For men on the Western Front, at times, it was simply hard work. For example, during winter, maybe neither side wanted to launch major actions. Not all soldiers were needed at the to hold the front. But preparations did need to be made for the upcoming spring offensive. So many were tasked to labour in the back areas, preparing for future major action. The spring 1917 Arras action is a good example. My grandfather was involved in that. Many divisions would be attacking from underground, so a huge amount of wood was needed for pit props, bunks, trench reinforcements, duck boards. So in January, February 1917, whole woods of trees were purchased from the French, and many soldiers, including my grandfather, were sent early in the year to fell the trees, put them through the sawmills, and work the wood as needed. Hard work, the worst winter on record, with the men probably sleeping in farmers' barns, so different to what they were used to. Now, if your battalion was tasked to hold the line, 
then sometimes it might be a stable, static front without any major offensive. A battalion of four companies uh, would be tasked to hold their section of the line. One company would be in reserve, the other three companies would cover the three shifts in the day. The men would be billeted on these occasions in tented encampments to the rear, probably hidden by a ridge or a wood. So getting to duty each day meant marching over fields and then winding through communication trenches to get to your duty position. So here's a snippet from a surviving letter that my grandfather wrote home to his wife Bess. It's been very cold here tonight. Last night it poured of rain for two hours before we started up the trenches at nine o'clock. I thought about you. I thought about you getting into a nice soft bed and poor me trudging about four miles each way in the mud. At other times it might be more tense an enemy attack expected, maybe, or a local attack on the enemy planned. Then the men would live for days on end in the front, the reserve, and the support trenches, sleeping in dugouts. So here's another letter home. It's just started pouring of rain again. It makes our little dugout damp. And then, of course, there would be times of great action. Again, Arras, April 1917. A good example, I think probably four of these 20 were there, possibly even six. Over half a million Allied soldiers were to attack over a front 20 miles wide. The plan was to overcome and hold the four multiple enemy defence lines, all to be taken on the first day. Well, in the end, they did succeed. The front advanced by some three, four miles. The biggest Allied advance to that date, taking of Vimy Ridge, was part of all of that. But it hadn't taken one day, it had taken several. So all those soldiers had to spend several nights on the battlefield, taking shelter wherever they could. Terrain that had been pounded for five days before the attack commenced by the artillery in an attempt to destroy the enemy defences. So sheltering overnight in shell holes. There was a bit of wind, rain, sleet, snow. Although it was April, winter still held its grip. What they went through doesn't bear thinking about. In itself, Arras was a success, but a related action by the French failed. So again, disappointment, the war ground on. So many times the soldiers were told that the next would be the big push that would end the war, but it didn't. More trenches, more attrition. Another letter. It don't do to think about it, much more dwell on it. But I suppose there will be an end to this war someday. I hope, please God, it will be soon. I think everyone is nearly fed up with it now. Well, these were some of the letters that my grandfather wrote home. The army supported men keeping in contact with parents, girlfriends, wives... It helped morale. A soldier could write one day. If all was routine, it would be in the hands of his loved one, maybe a couple of days later. So here's my grandfather's letter home. I received two letters yesterday from you, the ones you wrote on the 15th and the 16th. Well, he wrote that on the 22nd, so that was a 
six or seven days transit time, a bit longer than normal. The letter continues, I was glad you received postal order safe. We cannot get to spend much money up here, though there is one or two canteens, but they soon run out. Well, the postal order reference, a family at home, parents or the wife, they got a 19 shillings and sixpence separation allowance because, of course, the man's wage wasn't going into the household budget when he was on the Western Front. Soldiers got three and sixpence a week, local allowances, but like Richard, many sent some of their local allowances home to help out because the separation allowance paid at home didn't always compensate. So back to the letters. Here's another one. I'm all right, but my leg has not quite healed up yet, but nearly. I've not heard anything about going out from here yet, so I'm not getting any news from home, and that is what I want. It was difficult to connect letters to men when they were wounded, as Richard was at this time, because they would be away from the unit. They'd be moving from casualty clearing station to field hospital, letters chasing after them, hopefully. Nineteen eighteen also saw great actions of movement, as Peter has very well described. Early in that year, the enemy advanced sixty miles before finally being held and then turned and forced back to very near the German border. And so the enemy asked for cessation, and one hundred years ago today, the guns fell silent on the Western Front. It had taken four long years, but the offending belligerents had finally agreed to cease their quest to subjugate other countries and other peoples, the armistice. By then, by then, five of our group were lost. Peter's grandfather, Walter Counter, was an early casualty in week seven of the war when his ship was torpedoed and sunk whilst patrolling off the Dutch coast. Sales Alf Luff, in 1915, died on the third day of Luce, aged just 22, having survived for less than a month on the Western Front. My grandfather, Richard Stanton, lasted just seven months, killed in 1917, a few miles east of Arras. He'd been sent with others to redig a critical frontline trench that had been shelled the previous day, got shelled again. He was in the wrong place, the wrong time. Sally's Sydney Tranter Morgan lasted five months and then he was killed in action. That was the big enemy offensive in the spring of 1918 in the Somme area. Val's great uncle, Horace Hortin, died in Belgium of wounds, just 24 days short of the armistice. Then we have the two of our group who had been taken prisoner of war, Alfred Herring and David Lucas's Idwal Rees. Another three had already been returned to the UK for treatment of injuries, Anne's Albert Butcher, and then two who were honourably discharged, disabled, receiving the silver wound badge, Rosemary's Fred Albany Birch and Sally's Tim Luff. 
That left just 10 of the 20 still in active service at the end. Some had seen remarkably lengthy service on the front. I think Sally's Tim Luff managed two years and 10 months before he was wounded out. Well, those who were still overseas 100 years ago today came home gradually over the course of the following year. For some, it took a long time. For example, Ian's grandfather, Harold Ralph Ballard, with his tank nearly a year and a half at the front in the war, and then a year keeping the peace in Germany after the armistice. Most of those who survived were carrying mental and physical scars, wounds for the rest of their lives. Of the 15 who survived, we know that seven suffered ongoing ill health. David Ingram's Hedley Frederick Ingram and Val's Ernest Newman, they both suffered ongoing breathing problems, probably due to the effects of being gassed. Philippus Frank Golden walked with a stick and a limp all the rest of his life. And probably all were carrying memories that would stay with them. Memories they couldn't share with uncomprehending friends and family who'd never been there. Memories they just wanted to forget. Notable also that by the end of it, there are special awards for bravery in the face of the enemy. Alfred Herring with the Victoria Cross, the highest award for bravery in the face of the enemy. Richard's Horace Durling with his Military Cross, the Officer's Award. David Lucas's Edwall Rees with a Military Medal, the Other Ranks Award. Captain Harris on the home front with his Mayor's Medal, well hit, um, and has kindly brought the very medal, and it's in the exhibit to the rear. And of course, all got the appropriate service medals. Gallantry is sometimes described as putting oneself at risk for the sake of others. Well, I think they all did that. It's remarkable what these ordinary people endured, what they did, what they achieved, the restoration of freedom. They have for sure one thing in common. They each did their bit, and Haig said that the success over those who would do wrong was down to everyone who did their bit. They all counted. In a few minutes, Ian will lead us as we stand for our traditional two-minute silence. For the moment, though, I suggest we remain seated and let us contemplate as we do the roll call of our 20. We remember with gratitude Ian Forsyth's grandfather, Harold Ralph Ballard, Rosemary Ingram's grandfather, Fred Albany Birch, Silver Wound Badge, Anne Kellen's grandfather, Albert Edward Butcher, Rose Clark's father-in-law, Charles Clark, Peter Counter's grandfather, Walter Counter, lost at sea due to enemy action. 
Phil Murphy's cousin, Edward Leslie E. Draper. Richard Rowe's great uncle, Horace Durling, Military Cross. Martin Dunford's grandfather, Charles A. Francis. Philippa Rowe's grandfather, Frank Golden. Anne Kellen's grandfather, Joseph Harris, Mayor's Medal. Val Stanton's great uncle, Horace Horton, died of wounds. Peter Herring's grandfather, Alfred Cecil Herring, Victoria Cross. David Ingram's grandfather, Hedley Frederick Ingram. Sally Morgan's grandfather, Tim Luff, Silver Wound Badge. Sally Morgan's great uncle, Elf Luff, killed in action. Sally, Sally Morgan's great uncle, Sidney Tranter Morgan, killed in action. Val Stanton's grandfather, Ernest Newman. David Lucas's uncle, Idwal, military medal. Ed Stanton's grandfather, Richard Stanton, killed in action. And Rose Clark's father, George Wright. As Ed said, in a few moments, we're going to be having two minutes silence in memory of all those who've served in the wars and in conflicts, especially remembering those of World War I. In a few moments, I'm going to ask you to stand, if you feel able, for two minutes silence. And then you'll hear me say the words, at the going down of the sun and in the morning, we shall remember them. And I would like you to repeat all together when you hear those few words, we will remember them and then we'll have our two minutes silence. So if you feel able, let us have our two minutes silence now in the presence of God. Let us hear the ode. They shall grow not old as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun and in the morning, we will remember them. We will remember them.
Remind us, Lord, lest we forget of the debt that we owe to so many, the life made possible for us through their deaths. Help us to cherish and nurture the things that they died for. Liberty, justice and peace so that their sacrifice will help to build a better world and not have been in vain. Amen. Amen. Let's uh, remain standing to sing Abide With Me and then I'll have a final act of commitment and blessing and this will be the end of our remembrance service today.
please remain standing for the last prayer of an act of commitment. Let us pledge ourselves anew to the service of God and to our fellow men, that we may be peacemakers in our homes, in our community, and in our country, and in our world. Lord God, we pledge ourselves to serve you and all mankind in the cause of peace and for the relief of want and suffering. Give us wisdom, give us courage, give us hope, and keep us always faithful to you. Amen. Amen. And we'll end our service by reading the chorus which we heard played by Martin earlier on. Make me a channel of your peace, Lord. Where there is hatred, let me bring your love. Where there is injury, your pardon, Lord. And where there's doubt, true faith in you. Lord God, take us from this service of remembrance and help us, Lord, to work out what it is that we would do today. Where there is hurt, Lord, bring your healing. Where there is injury, Lord, just please, Lord God, reach out to those who are lost, who do not know you as your Lord and your Saviour. Father, we ask your blessing upon all those here and all those who are ill or unable to be here with us today in the fellowship. We ask your blessing on them. In Jesus' name. Amen. Just to let you know that there are going to be some refreshments. If you'd like to uh, stay for a while and um, enjoy the refreshments, Val's going to.